I could see what was going on here and I was like, well, why the bloody hell aren't we sharing this with everyone? Like, this is, this is unreal. Why aren't we going and, and putting it out there? And I suppose, you know, after what we saw in 2011, no one wants to put their face near it. Like, it's just a don't go, don't do that to yourself. G'day and welcome to episode 25 of the Humans of Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Ollie Laleve, and spring is here. I've booked in some annual leave and we're in that lovely time of year, aside from the magpies swooping and a little bit of hay fever, that the weather's getting better. I hope at the moment you're all staying fit, safe and sane, and that there's a bit of light at the end of the tunnel. Before I jump into today's guest, we've got some very exciting news over here at Humans of Agriculture. The coronavirus has put a halt on quite a few things this year, including the Royal Melbourne Show. Undeterred by this, I'm very excited to say I'm teaming up with the Royal Agricultural Society of Victoria to share a number of stories about some of the incredible people that have shaped this truly iconic event. It's been running since 1848, so we're going to take the chance to reflect over some of the generational changes and chat with some of the icons of the show to understand more about the importance of this connection between the city and the bush that happens each September. You can find out more on our Instagram over the coming days. Today's guest is an incredible young bloke. He's been our eyes in the sky, 800 kilometres from Darwin, to give us a view from the cockpit of a mustering chopper. To be honest, since I spoke with Hugh earlier this year, I knew he had something different about him. I don't think there's many people I've come across who have their shit together quite as well as Hugh Dawson, let alone at the age of 22. We chat about the journey from school his need to go and get a degree, and just thinking that he needed a gap year. Well, five years on, he's still on that gap year. I asked him a little bit about his family winemaking business, some of the footage that he saw in 2011, which actually, testament to Hugh, didn't deter him from the industry. It actually drew him in, and as part of his character, he's obviously very curious and wanted to find out more. Hugh's incredibly passionate about livestock, animal welfare and understanding more about the Australian standards that we not only adhere to in Australia, but the standards we actually export. His curiosity to continually learn and grow his understanding of practices the whole way across the supply chain has then been backed up by his involvement at the community level. The northern beef industry, but more importantly, Australian agriculture, is incredibly lucky to have Hugh Dawson in it. Seriously. Hugh is one of the most impressive people I think I've come across, and I can't wait to see where he's headed. Enjoy this episode. Hugh, welcome to the Humans of Ag podcast, mate. Nah, thanks very much for having me, Ollie. I've been thoroughly oh, looking forward to it anyway. Yeah, well, I think following on from your little video clip you did for us the other day, you're kind of our eyes in the sky at the moment. Yeah, no, I've, uh, I've been spending a fair bit of time uh, in the air this year, which is sort of, um, I guess it's a bit different to what I'm, I'm usually doing. I'm usually in the yards uh, with the rest of the team, um, looking after the drafting of cattle and, and uh, I guess on the ground operations. But yeah, taking a, uh, taking a bit more bit more time um, in the 22 this year, doing a bit of mustering, which has been a nice change up. And so, just for like yeah, a bit of reference, um, whereabouts are you coming from? Yeah, so we're um, I work on Beetaloo Station. We're about so it's near enough to eight hours from uh, from Darwin and Alice Springs. So obviously in the Northern Territory, 
near, oh, if you look at the Northern Territory, it's sort of just a bit bit higher than the, than, than the centre, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, we're on the, uh, the Barclay Tablelands, which is um, pretty well known for its uh, good, good underground water and, uh, and yeah, pretty, pretty wide open black soil plains. So, so yeah, pretty nice, nice little spot, I think. And so is, is that home for you now? Because you're originally from South Australia. So if someone asks you where home is, what's your answer? <laughs> yeah, well, I suppose so. I guess, um, well, you know, a little bit about my story. I sort of came up here uh, with the intention to start for a year. And, uh, yeah, this is now going on five years. So I suppose when, when people ask me where I'm from now, I'd be more inclined to say the, the Northern Territory, probably because it sounds a bit cooler than Adelaide too. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, now, mum and dad and uh, the rest of my family are still, still based down uh, where about now, south of Adelaide actually. So near, I guess, McLaren Vale, Victor Harbour. Um, so I guess I'd, I'd probably get in trouble if I didn't call that home. <laughs> yeah. And so... Um... That's wine country though. And so your old man is a, a winemaker. Did, did you ever kind of have, did you ever think that you'd go that, down that path? Yeah, I, I was, um, I was, I looked at that seriously uh, for, oh, probably, yeah, probably a good little while. So uh, I actually, oh, I suppose going back to year 12, I, um, yeah, I sort of, I had enough of school and, wanted to go and do somewhere else and something else. And, and that's where I sort of decided to do a, a gap year. And, uh, and I was looking at how I could fill this year out. And, um, my, my uncle, he did four years on a property called Clear Springs. Uh, and that's near Holbrook for anyone that knows it. Um, in New South Wales or. Yeah. New South Wales. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I could go and do a, uh, do a gap year, work at a station. And, uh, and the Northern Territory appealed to me because I was like, oh, I'm going to do it. I might as well go as far away from home as I can. Um, but that didn't start until April. So I had that period between um, January and April where I, I needed to fill in. Uh, and Dad, obviously, being in the industry, uh, I knew that uh, doing a vintage was seasonal work and would fit that space pretty well. So I went and worked at uh, Brokenwood Wines in the Hunter Valley for... I ended up doing it for three seasons and uh, and stayed on um, for a couple of months longer in that second year and uh, just to sort of try my hand at it, I suppose. Um, and that was sort of over the wet season up here, so it worked out pretty well. Um, and then yeah, I was looking at looking at going to uni, and that little bit more time I spent down there, it started to get cold, and I thought, oh, maybe maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I'll go back and chase. <laughs> <laughs> so, and uh, and I suppose I haven't I haven't really looked back since. It was when I probably started knuckling down and getting a bit more immersed in what uh, what goes on here. And so, growing up in Adelaide, like I hear of Adelaide. Hey, it's Nick here, sheep farmer and Rabobank Regional Client Council member. I'm passionate about supporting our local community, so we can improve community well-being and build strong local economies. My job as a client council member is to help secure funding for regional grassroots initiatives, those that support education in ag, rural health, sustainability, and help bridge the country-city divide. We've helped organisations like Boys to the Bush, funded school field days like Ag Vision, and held succession planning workshops, just to name a few. If you have an idea to make a difference to regional Australia, go to our website, 
at www.rabobank.com.au and nominate via our community fund. We'd love to hear from you. I've been there a couple of times, um, but yeah, you hear of it just kind of as a big country town. Like, is that for people who are leaving school, did many of your mates end up trudging the path of going into agriculture or what have they done? Yeah, so I suppose um, oh, a few of them have. Like, I was a, I was a boarder at school, so, you know, that sort of demographic, I suppose. There's a lot of people coming from, um, from properties uh, and a lot of a lot of those fellas have gone back and, and worked on farms. But uh, look, I think at school we were really um, uh, more or less pushed away from ag. Other than your your ag science degree, there was not really, um, you know, we weren't encouraged to go and to go and work on properties and do stuff like that because there's that perception that if you do that, you won't sort of be able to to forge a career out of it. Let's just you know go and be a ringer for the rest of your life. Whereas uh, I think, um, and to get a little bit off topic, I think, yeah, what I'm doing now is, uh, is showing that, that if you keep working at it, you can start to, to really, I guess, cultivate a, a career um, without, you know, the, the, the university studies that we were, that we were sort of pushed into um, at school. Um, so, you know, a few of them have gone on and, and, uh, and have picked up, picked up jobs in egg, but for the most part, yeah, it's something that we're really almost advised not to not to go any and like thinking back because what are you now 23 22 22 yeah Shit. I, uh, what was it? I think i was only actually just starting uni for the second time i tried <laughs> tried uni first first round at 19 and didn't like it dropped out went farming again and then thought about <laughs> <to> go back <laughs> um but yeah it's like five years under your belt already and like it's it's the lived experience, isn't it, that you bring to the table that you get through being involved in farm businesses. Yeah, no, I think, um, and I've got to sort of be a bit wary of not sort of telling people, you know, you don't need to go to university. I think uh, to sort of use an example, if I wanted to be an electrical engineer, which at some point in time I think I did, to become an electrical engineer, university is something that I would have to do, uh, and then once I finish that degree then I'm at my starting block. Whereas I think what I've done is I've sort of left school and that was my starting block. And then from there, I'm sort of, I'm already down the track a bit, I suppose, with this five years I've put in. Um, and that's where I think, you know, that's where you can start to make your, make your career without that extra study. So I'll get that on record there. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. Well, like, yeah, just jumping straight into, so the thought process, you're going up kind of with a fascination of just, wide open spaces, big hats, chasing cows. What kind of what was the the early experience of yeah leaving home and, and heading up there? Yeah, so I suppose uh just going back to what I said before, it was it was really just about to 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 get away from Adelaide and to get out of that bubble because it is a very clicky little um I suppose yeah. It is it, it's it's almost like a little isolated area, Adelaide. It's a like you said, a, a small country town. Um, it's easy to get yeah, stuck in your little friendship groups and to not really get out and see you know, the world, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so, there, yeah, I really just wanted to get away, uh, try something different. I was sort of a bit annoyed at school that, you know, all I was being pushed into was university. And at the time, it just wasn't the right fit for me. You know, I'd, um, I've always been a really uh, visual learner and sort of hands-on. Um, and I think for me, school 
was exactly that until we got to year 12. Like, I absolutely loved school um, from sort of pretty much the whole way up right through to the end of year 11. Uh, I did chemistry and physics, your maths, yeah, right. things like that. Um, and then year 12, it was, remember this, it'll be an exam. And it just, it didn't, didn't stick with me at all. So I was a bit annoyed at that. Um, I'd probably work myself into a bit of a burnout and, uh, yeah, I just wanted to get away from it all. And, and this seemed completely different and something that was, uh, entirely unfamiliar to me. Having a little connection with ag at home, we had a little hobby farm, um, I suppose. So I was interested enough in farming, but it was, was not something I'd really been involved in. Yeah. Um, so yeah, came up here had no idea what I was getting myself into. Had very little idea about the, uh, the Northern beef industry at all. Uh, and I suppose the only, the only thing I've really seen um, in the northern beef industry in media was, uh, was the footage we saw in 2011 uh, when they temporarily banned live exports. So um, seeing that, I was a bit like, oh, well, what, what's the sort of go here? Um, you know, maybe this is actually a pretty, pretty rough, rough industry. Is it somewhere I really want to be? But uh, I guess I was lucky enough to... Know, be brought up not to condemn it without knowing the full story and uh, and that's I think yeah well it could definitely lead into another question there but um yeah and I think like so on that though because the footage we saw in 2011 and that whole process of what happened in Indonesia of cows being half processed half killed like it it's horrible and like I've spoken with friends who are farmers in, in um Queensland who actually then had to live the kind of ramifications of that that ban but it's an interesting approach from your end that you've seen it and you're like, all right, I'm going to go find out for myself. Yeah. And, uh, and I think, you know, seeing that footage and for anyone that's seen it, it's, it's horrific. It's pretty distressing. Um, and you know, as a producer, um, you spend all that time, you know, putting your heart and soul essentially into these livestock and caring for them. Um, so to see them go over there and to be treated like that, it's bloody, it's, it's pretty, pretty traumatic and, uh, and confronting for us. And, um, so I guess, yeah, seeing that I had every, every reason to sort of jump on the bandwagon and say, yeah, ban live export, it looks horrible. But, um, coming up here and look, seeing the, the animal welfare standards and the animal handling standards that we're, I guess, putting in place, uh, on farm here and how they're reciprocating throughout the supply chain, you know, it made it pretty clear for me to see that. This is an Australian industry that's actually doing some pretty phenomenal things um, in changing the way the world has to to handle livestock, whether it be export or just you know keep it domestic overseas. Um, and that's where I yeah started to really really try and get involved in uh, as many areas of live export as I can, just to try and keep um, I guess learning more and, and finding out more for myself. Um, so yeah, it's it's pretty. Pretty phenomenal what we're doing up here, I think. And I want to dive into that a bit more. Like, obviously, there's a whole bunch of people that go from kind of family farms and whatnot up to the Territory or just Northern Australia more broadly and, and go and work on these um, properties. But do people, like, do, do the blokes around you and, and the girls as well, do they go with that mentality of actually finding more about the supply chain? Or do you think kind of as an industry we're a little bit complacent and, yeah happy with where we sit in the supply chain i think um i think you're absolutely right in that we probably do to a uh, yeah in a sense i think you know on the production side it's very easy to to sort of see cattle going onto a truck and especially like as a 
um, as a first year, second year ringer, you know, that's, you're sort of happy to see them go on a truck and that's the end of it. But um, I think definitely as you spend more time in it and you, you invest yourself more into it, you sort of, you want to see um, the, the benefits, I suppose, you're making. So um, we're pretty lucky now. We've got the Livestock Collective uh, who have essentially made the, the lives, um, live export chain transparent. You can go on there and see, you know, everything from what I do uh, on farm through the trucking process uh, in the export yards and then onto vessels and then once they're overseas in market, which I think is uh, is pretty yeah phenomenal um, that there's that that facility there. Mm. And if we are interested, we can go and see what what actually happens because it's so easy to uh, to condemn something. I think if we don't uh, don't see the full picture. And how did, um, how early like did you jump on that live? Uh, what, yeah, livestock collective. Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm the Northern Territory representative of the uh, Young Livestock Exporters Network, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and we're doing a bit with the the Livestock Collective, um, and so the Young Live Exporters Network we launched in 2018, and at the time I was uh, involved with the Future Northern Territory Cattlemen's Association program, um, and so we were invited to that launch, and and that was probably when I sort of went oh. This is pretty cool because this is something I, I haven't had the opportunity to, to get involved in. There was that divide between um, your producers and your exporters. And like I said, you know, producers see us, see the cattle on the truck and, and that's sort of the end of it. And then your exporters take over from there. Um, so for me, that was an, an opportunity, I suppose, to, um, to really, you know, spread myself across the supply chain and get a really uh, comprehensive uh, understanding of what um, what goes on and, and what happens to our cattle from uh, I guess farm to, to plate um, plate being you know a couple of thousand kilometers away in another country which uh, which is pretty cool yeah it's pretty funny like or amazing when you think about that process isn't it yeah no it, it's absolutely mind-boggling um, and I think you know there's, there's it's it's just, it's a shame that it is such a uh, Oh, I guess an untouched subject. Everyone's really, I think, frightened of it as being this red button um, topic. Whereas I think, you know, it's it's absolutely something that, as a nation, we should be celebrating. Um, I think there's there's very few industries that sort of that do what we do in live export, and uh, and I think even you know if we sent um, box beef over, you'd miss the opportunity to export not only um, a product but an industry standard with it. I think that's the the pretty amazing thing about the Australian live export um, industry, whether it be sheep or cattle. We send our livestock over, but with them we send an Australian animal welfare and animal handling standard, uh, and that's regulated by the uh, Exporter Supply Chain Assurance System, uh, which is a government-regulated um, body put in place um, to make sure that everything over there is happening just as well, if not better, um, as, as what it would in Australia, which, uh, yeah, like I said, it's, it's absolutely mind-blowing once, you, once you're exposed to that. But unfortunately, it's something I think we haven't, we haven't seen in, uh, in mainstream media. Yeah, definitely. I think what's, um, what's cool on that front is, like, which probably people, like many people probably don't know because it's just if, if you're not made aware of it. But like, so following that 2011 ban, Australia implemented, as you said there, SCAS, the export standards, quality assurance something um i'll have to uh look that one up what, was, what is it <laughs> export supply chain insurance system there you go right i'll uh, write that one down 
But what's interesting <laughs> about that, isn't it, is because like Australia now has to make sure that even when we're not owning that animal as such in a foreign country, that it's still being held at the standard of what it would if it was still under ownership in Australia, which is, which yeah. is pretty incredible when you think of that, the influence, but, but also just the high regard of what Australia's got. Well, that's exactly right. And that's what I was just about to say then is, um, you know, I think we're really lucky to have built some pretty, pretty um, extraordinary relationships with our trade partners overseas um, and that they've taken the time to adopt this process because it's something that, you know, if they don't want to do it, there's other places for them to go. Yeah. Uh, it's because, you know, Australia are exporting a, a premium product um, in our livestock and, and we've got those relationships there uh, that we're able to, to do that. So, you know, 2011 rocked everything and, and was near enough to shutting down, you know, Northern Australia as a whole. Uh, and that's taken a long time to recover from. But as I said before, you know, if that's not there, someone else is going to come in and, and take that away from us. We've got that opportunity there to essentially more or less change the world um, by having our, our animal welfare and animal handling standards at the front and centre of, um, you know, um, facilities in Indonesia, Vietnam, Malaysia, all these developing economies. Um, so, yeah, it is, uh, it's pretty unique and, and it's something that I definitely think, you know, as a nation, we should want to take ownership and, and celebrate that, that we're doing um, some pretty amazing things globally there. Yeah, definitely. And as you said, that Livestock Collective, actually showing that process is, um, yeah, really cool. I'll have to um, get in touch with the guys there and make sure that I can put up some videos and, and some links to it because I think, yeah, it's just spreading the word of what Australia does. It's not just about exporting live animals. It's exporting, like, well, as you say, world-leading uh, standards. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, no, nah, I think, yeah, it's definitely definitely worth a look for anyone anyone listening to jump onto the, the Livestock Collective and, and have a look on board vessels because it's something that, you know, we don't see uh, at all and most of the livestock on there are adhering to social distancing far better than, uh, than many of our <laughs> nation here at the moment. Well, us in Melbourne, anyway, we, uh, we got caught out there. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah, like, I think just following up on that, though, is around this education. Well, there's probably two aspects which I wanted to nearly just say like, congratulations to you on because like, I think it's so impressive just the, the desire that you've got in industry to like not only just improve yourself, but you're, as, you, as you said, what you were involved in and kind of those steps. Like, it's, it's bloody impressive. You're involved in what, three or four different organisations plus um, running around on, on farm as well. <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I just don't like making my life easy. <laughs> no, no, it's um, it's awesome, and I think uh, I think that's definitely something I've tried to, you know, keep keep getting involved in these programs and keep meeting people, and uh, and I suppose start building uh, a little bit of an aim for myself. Um, and that's going back to what we were saying before. I think that's where you can really start to to start cultivating a, a career up here. Um, and, uh, and for me, that's been a, a really good way of going about doing that and, uh, and meeting some pretty, pretty extraordinary people along the way. But, um, no, I do, I like to keep busy and, uh, and I'm a pretty curious sort of a character. So, um, for me, it's been really nice to, 
I guess keep keep learning and to keep immersing myself in in these opportunities and that. And yeah, look, since I've been, um, I guess put put a bit more of a focus into it, and yeah, this is going on five gap years now, so um, <laughs> it's starting to take a bit more time to uh, to I guess yeah, look at look at where a, a career could uh, could go from here um, has been yeah pretty pretty enjoyable and and it's pretty exciting as well, um, not knowing I guess what what tomorrow could bring, what what door there might be to walk through um and that's sort of yeah that's kept it kept it pretty uh, pretty yeah pretty exciting up here i suppose yeah definitely i think um so georgia beatty i had her on a podcast Jeez, it feels like many moons ago but like she said and like her kind of message towards young people was like be the change that you want to be in the world and like we're, yeah when i look at the stuff you do and you're putting yourself out there like you're living and breathing kind of those the values of what you want to see in industry, but have you ever, when you're putting yourself out there, like, do, do you think of the potential like consequences of, of putting your face behind, and name behind these things? Yeah, I suppose you do. Um, for me, it sort of comes as a secondary sort of thing. I think I'm pretty good for making um, a fair bit of noise, and and uh, and I suppose that's that's why I ended up getting. Getting so involved with the uh, the Young Livestock Exporters Network and the Livestock Collective because I could see what was going on here and I was like, well, why the bloody hell aren't we sharing this with everyone? Like, this is this is unreal. Why aren't we going and and putting it out there? And I suppose you know, after what we saw in twenty eleven, no one wants to put their face near it. Like, it's just a don't go, don't do that to yourself. Mm. Um, I suppose being passionate enough about <laughs> passionate. Uh, about it enough, um, you sort of go, well, this is this is bigger than me. This is above, you know, myself. Yeah. Like, why why not share it? And then uh, and then obviously, you know, you're going to have to deal with the the fallout from it. I think we've been shared to, uh, like, I don't know, you might have seen that 7:30 report um, video we did that got shared to uh, ban the death ships and uh, one other animal activist group. So. Um, there's always going to be those those people out there that are going to try and uh, try and knock you down. But um, look, you just turn the phone off. You're, you're far enough away. <laughs> you, you'll never see it. Just them. go camp for three weeks. <laughs> um, you, you're never going to change the the minds of of that sort of I guess um, that group. Same as you never change the minds of Proag. Um, but no, yeah. we're really trying to spread our message uh, towards the movable middle, I guess, and, and that represents the, you know, the sort of middle 65% that are going to go either way, um, depending on, on what they see or hear. Um, so, look, if I can make a little bit of difference here and there, I'm, I'm more than happy to put a put my face to a, a, good, a good cause. It's funny, isn't it? Because, like, as I've been asking people to, like, share their stories or, like, just basically send me a photo, let's... I'll ask you a couple of questions. Normally it's along the lines of, is there like a significant moment in, in like that brought you towards agriculture or it's something as simple as why are you optimistic about the future of agriculture? And what well, this is, I'd say nearly one of the challenges which I'm trying to address, which I think there's the consumer awareness piece, which absolutely is front and center, but there's this piece where like, I want people to feel, I want to increase the confidence of people in industry because the other week I reached out to 60 people being like, um, just looking for a couple of stories. Um, 
does anyone want to put their hand up? Like reached out to them individually. And the amount of messages I got back being like, oh, either A, I don't have a story, which come on, everyone's got a story. It's got to be something yeah, yeah. that makes you tick. Um, and the second part of that was, yeah, people being like, oh, like I don't want to put my face to these things. And it's like, it's really interesting that kind of mentality of industry, but like there's just not enough people involved in agriculture. Like if everyone takes that, um, that mentality will forever be dictated to by what the public think. Yeah. No, I think, um, I think you're right. I think, I think one of the problems there is, uh, is that there's that sort of perception that everyone's out to, to be against ag and the, to, to condemn like the whole lot. Mm. Uh, which I think is, you know, it's absolutely not, not the truth. Like I was saying before, there's that, there's that really small minority that are anti-ag. The unfortunate thing I think is that, you know, a lot of them, it's like the old saying, the, the squeaky wheel gets to grease. A mm. lot of them have made their way into mainstream media so that, you know, when we turn on the news in the morning and before we're about to start work, and it might be a 14-hour work day, we see all these people going, ban live export, ban everything, ban glyphosate, ban farming. Farmers are bad. And it's like, oh, oh shit. Do I really want to go to work today? Like everyone hates me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, it's it's trying to uh, to get the message out that, you know, <laughs> people people are for the most part generally interested in, in agriculture. Yeah. Um, well they gotta be, because at the end of the day, if you're not gonna support agriculture more broadly, you you're gonna be pretty hungry and and you're not gonna last very long. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I can't remember the exact numbers of it, but um, I think there's an MLA study, it must have been a couple of years ago, it was something like, I think, from a, a general um, sort of sample, it was something like 20, it was around 20% of people were, were actively against the production of, of red meat. So you leave 80% of people who are, you know, they're all for it. That 20% is probably your, your minority that's anti-ag or... It just just doesn't like me. Yeah. Um, and then there was something like if sixty five or seventy percent of people had uh, were shown to have little to no connection. Oh, maybe sorry, I'm getting my numbers a bit. Yeah, no, I think I oh, know the one that you're talking about. It was the 2017 um, National Farmers. Yeah, they did it, and it was eighty three percent of Australians because it was a representative. It was a thousand people, but eighty three percent of people ha- either have a distant or non-existent connection yeah. to farming. Yeah, and of them, it was something like 65, 70% wanted to know more, but just, you know, there wasn't the there wasn't anything that facilitated that, I suppose, um, learning learning yeah. process, I guess, yeah. Enter humans of agriculture. Well, that's exactly right, <laughs> yeah. I think, well, I think, you know, with that, like, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed listening to the Humans of Agriculture podcast and, and even for myself, uh, found out like a heap of things that, that I didn't know were sort of in the, in the ag, um, ag chain. I think we are such a broad industry. Um, it's like, like you said, there are so many people that think they don't have a story because we take it for granted. We take for granted absolutely what we do every day. Um, and I think, you know, if we keep trying to, get our stories out there's some pretty there's some amazing people doing some pretty incredible things that you just don't think of even in a you know you don't know what's happening over the fence and and what what everyone else is doing so yeah absolutely yeah, there's always, always to keep learning do you find that like for yourself obviously going back to the start where you're just a curious person but do you look <laughs> at 
at what's happening in other industries and think, oh, there's an idea that we could bring into LiveX? Like, are you forever going a million miles an hour up here to think of different things? <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. Um, probably, probably more on farm stuff. I yep. sort of see things happening. Um, yeah, I suppose in other industries, and I, I think I probably am at a bit of a disadvantage there, where I haven't had uh, enough exposure to a lot of a lot of other industry. Um, you know, I, I left school and came up here pretty much, uh, and that's about the extent of my. Yeah, you forgot the um, wineries, mate. You're being a bit tough on yourself. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, it's funny because, uh, like, even even that was pretty um, pretty handy coming up here. You know, you start looking at irrigation and, and things like that and pumps and you sort of – you take little bits and pieces from everywhere and I think you can absolutely uh, convert it. So um, to have platforms where we can see what other people are doing and, and to sort of work together, uh, I think, is, uh, is pretty – pretty cool and something that hopefully we start seeing a bit more of um i think you know with with technology just continuing to to i guess snowball into this giant giant um machine that it is there is that opportunity now to connect with you know we're not isolated anymore we can connect with anyone across the world pretty much so um as far as uh development um on farm and in industry going forward, there's uh, I think it's just, yeah, absolutely limitless. Yeah, absolutely. And so I've got one question, which I've just start only for the last few episodes started asking everyone, but if you were to be put in front of, yeah, kind of, yeah, school students, year 10, 11, 12, and yeah. giving them kind of, I suppose, broadly life advice, but also like around agriculture, what, what would you tell people that are, yeah, at that age and about to leave school. Oh, that is a doozy, isn't it? Um, well, I suppose thinking back to, you know, when I was in that 10, 11, 12, uh, and, yeah, being very much driven towards university studies, I think I'd definitely try and share a bit of my own story um, and sort of explain... Uh, how there's that opportunity there to, to upskill um, and to sort of to make a bit of a career out. And even if it's not something you stick with, I think the uh, the life skills you take away from, um, you know, up here we work in a really small team environment. Um, so, you know, there's there's all those different skills that you, you don't get anywhere else. Um, so I, I think it's definitely something to consider. Um, but to, to generalise it a bit more, I think, you know, going into anything, go into it with an open mind um, and just have a real real willingness to learn. Uh, and I suppose don't, yeah, don't be afraid to make mistakes, which I think is probably one of the, must be the most frequently given pieces of advice, but um, definitely push yourself. I think as soon as you start feeling comfortable, you know, there's opportunity to keep pushing yourself and to keep learning. Um, and yeah, if you, if you make a mistake, you only, you only come out better for it, I think so. Um, but Definitely, definitely, despite what they tell you, look at agriculture. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. Well, guys, that's it from us for another week. Thanks so much for tuning in again. I hope you found that chat with Hugh as fascinating as I did. He is so incredibly passionate about the northern beef industry, Australian live export, and I can't wait to find out more from him. Definitely putting it on the bucket list to go up and see Hugh some stage, hopefully next year. 
He mentioned a couple of the community groups or organisations he's involved in. One is the Young Live Exporters Network. You can check out them in the show notes, as well as the Livestock Collective. For us, at the beginning, I said we've got some incredibly exciting news. We are teaming up with the Royal Melbourne Show to bring a whole bunch of stories to, to, uh, to everyone. So we're hitting the airways and that's coming around very quickly. If you follow us on our Instagram, jump over to at humans of agriculture with an underscore and you can stay up to date with all things that's happening for that. For the time being, stay safe, stay sane, look after yourselves and I can't wait to join you again next week. Cheers.